powerful name we pray. Amen. As we begin, please feel free to open up to Galatians chapter 3. There's Bibles right in front of you, and I'll also have it on the screen, but for those who are in the back of the room, it might be a little bit harder to read. I'm going to be reading quite a few verses today as I want to start at the beginning of Galatians chapter 3, but please be opening up to Galatians 3. And the children are dismissed to Children's Church as you're getting ready. Make sure my remote's working there. Great. So thank you, Pastor Eldon, for filling in for me last week as I was in Ohio visiting with family for two funerals. I just need to take a quick moment to express my gratitude to this church family here as us being in Ohio and before we left, while we were there, even coming back home to Bloomer, we just felt so much love from this church body and the community. It's it's crazy as we go back to Ohio and back home in a way, and we've only been gone for a year and four months, we found ourselves near the end of the trip missing home. That this truly has begun become our home, and we missed our church, we missed our new friends, and we still love our family back at home, we still love our friends back there, and we love our churches back there. But you have become part of our life in a very important part of our life and it just reassures us that we are where God wants us to be. Thank you for the many prayers, the many text messages, the many phone calls, the many um, cards of encouragement and support. You guys have just blown us away with your support. So thank you very much for that and thank you Pastor Eldon for filling the pulpit for me. It was great for me to hear that even in the second service, and you're good because you're in the first service, but Pastor Eldon actually brought his stool. He, I guess he preached with a stool because of his hip replacement. And I guess he came down and preached right from up there. Because there were too many people that were so scattered at the back of the room. And I should do that more often. I'm always thinking about saying to everyone, Okay, everybody scoot one row forward. One pew. And every week we just keep saying one pew, one pew. Uh, fill in the spaces, the empty spaces. Because you get so far to the back, and we have so many empty spots up here. One of these days, I'm going to be really blown away, because I'm going to come in and see the front row filled. Brian's going to come in, he's not going to know where his guitar case went, because people are going to move it, because they want to sit in the front row. That will be a good day. But thank you for being with us today. We are continuing on in our Galatians series, and we're at Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 to 18. And this was supposed to be two weeks, but we're going to combine it into one to try and move on a little bit and get caught up. We're going to start with Galatians 3 verse 1 though. So let me read this to you and you can stay seated today since it is a little bit longer. I'll be reading through verse 18. And Alicia, if you want to just um, transition the slides for me as I read because I can't see back there. So I'm going to look from right here in front of me. And as we read this, we read, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer up so many things in vain... If indeed it was in vain, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? 
Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. In the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are, who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now, it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Thank you very much for following along. Now, I'm going to confuse you a little bit because... As I'm reading that, I think about this. I think I have the English Standard Version, my personal kind of go-to here on the slides. That's where I'm reading from. But then I recognize that you guys have the NIV translation, I believe, in the pews, which might make it a little hard to follow along at times. Now, when I do my studies, I do like to compare many different translations. So here, you just compared two different translations without even meaning to. Hopefully, it didn't confuse you. Hopefully, it brought light to the to the scripture, but I'm going to confuse you with this. I really love, and I actually heard Pastor Eldon on when I watched the live stream from last week, I heard him refer to, it, to this too. At times, I like to look to the message translation and see where that's coming from, and actually, go ahead and let's go back there and stay there. I'm going to be looking to the scripture quite a bit, but the message says this in verse 3. I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 1, where we read, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? The message kind of brings it all together and puts it like this. You crazy Galatians, did someone put a hex on you? Did someone put a hex on you? You see, today, like I said, we continue in this series, Plus Nonsense Grace, where there's nothing we can do to add to our own salvation. We'll only save through the grace of God, through Jesus Christ in the cross. Plus nothing. Today we're talking about the curse and redemption. We're talking about faith, promises, and the law. And the message states it as, did someone put a hex on you? I like that translation because as you think about what we're looking at today, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, verse 10 says. So as you start out and go back to see context, you see from the very beginning of the chapter, Paul is asking the people... Did someone put a hex on you? Now, a hex is like a curse. 
Did somebody curse you? So we're going to be talking a lot about curses today. But before I get there, let me give you a little example, a little illustration here. And I'll leave the scripture up here so you can continue focusing on that as I talk. But let me give you a little illustration about grace. And it's going to start with a game. When I was a youth pastor, we used to play with the teens a game called the telephone game. Has anybody ever heard of the telephone game? I see some hands. Great. Well, let me give you kind of the, the principles of the telephone game. It's a very basic, simple game. But as long as you follow the rules, it can actually be pretty enlightening to see the end result. So that to play the game, you start out by gathering everybody into a straight line or into a big circle. And you have a moderator, a leader, whisper a phrase or a sentence into somebody's ear at the beginning of the line, the beginning of the circle. Now, that first person hears that phrase, that sentence, and the goal is this. They now need to whisper that phrase into the next person's ear. Now, it's very important to note that you can only say it once. There's no repeats. you got to listen closely because if you didn't hear it, whatever you think you heard, you're going to pass on to that next person. So the goal is this. A leader, a moderator, we would whisper a phrase or a sentence in that very first person's ear. And then that first person passes on the phrase to the next one in line. Then the next one in line. Then the next one. It continues to go on until you reach the very end of the line or the circle and at the very last person, they need to repeat out loud for everybody to hear what was the phrase, what was the statement or the sentence. And then the very first person gets to say, did they get it right? Did they keep the, the original translation correct through the entire circle line, or did it get misconstrued? So either A, they get to congratulate each other and say, Good job, look at that. We, we kept the meaning of the phrase, or we kept every statement, every word correctly. But anybody who's played this game knows, either intentionally or unintentionally, words get changed. And by the time you get to the end person, the, the sentence that you started with might not even sound the same at all. And the meaning changes. Here's the point. In the telephone game, if one word gets messed up, the phrase continues to get more misconstrued with each person. The sentence or phrase is no longer correct. One word, one mistake. That's all it takes. You cannot add to the phrase. You cannot take away from the phrase. Or it changes the entire meaning of the phrase. And you void the entire point of the game to get all together. Because you're supposed to keep the phrase the same from the beginning to the end. The same is true for the gospel of salvation through grace. You cannot change one thing. You cannot add to it. You cannot take away from it. To do any of these things would change the entire outcome, the entire meaning of the gospel. It would change the entire meaning and the entire purpose that God had through Jesus Christ. To save us based upon him and him alone. Based upon him taking this curse of ours upon himself. So today, as I said, we continue to talk about our salvation being through faith alone in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And without Christ, it is, it is as if we have a hole in our heart. We're cursed. We'll always be living with an empty feeling. And why? Why do we have this empty feeling inside of us? Now, I want to be honest with you. The inspiration for me using this example 
of a hole in our heart or an empty feeling actually comes from my trip to Ohio. Continue to pray for my brother, Michael, as he goes through this loss of his wife of seven years at the age of 38, because that was one thing they told people. Most time, he'd be saying that he's doing good. He's just focusing on her being up in heaven with God. But then every once in a while, he'd transition, and I'd hear him tell somebody, I just feel like I have a hole in my heart. I just feel an empty feeling inside. So that was the initial inspiration for this. But as I kept reading the scripture more and more, I kept thinking about that phrase, hole in our heart. We'll always be living with an empty feeling and a hole in our heart when we're not filling our hearts with Christ. We need Christ in our life more and more each and every single day. And when things like that happen to us, when false teachers come in our life and are trying to drag us away from the glory of God and from his truth, we need more of Christ. We need to increase our faith by looking more to his word, by looking more to being in his presence through prayer and through meditation on his will, not our own. When we go through a struggle in life, such as a loss of a loved one or a loss of a job or a loss of finances or struggles with our kids and not knowing how to maybe run our household at times, and we question, are we doing things right? How do we fill that hole in our heart? How do we fill that empty feeling? It's with Christ. There's no other way. Christ must be the center of our life, and our relationship with him needs to grow and grow with each day. But here's the problem. Our sins separate us from him. And adding to the gospel, trying to live according to the law or a works-based system of religion and salvation only makes that hole in our heart bigger. Now, metaphorically, it makes it bigger. And here's why. Because the works-based system separates us from his grace even more because it's, it's putting us in control where we're not meant to be in control. God is meant to be in control of our life. We need to surrender to him. But the more we try and think we're in control, the less we surrender to him. Isn't that funny how that works? The more that we think we're in control, the less we surrender to him. Because we think, no, God, I got it. I don't need you. But we need him because we're cursed. Because it's as if we've had a hex put on us. But we put the hex on ourselves. We make it harder and harder to reach a relationship with God because we continue to put more and more demands or requirements on ourselves. Well, if only I could do this. If only I could do that. I'm not going to be right with God until I do this or until I do that. We put more barriers between God and ourselves when God never meant for us to have these barriers. God simply intends for us to surrender to him and allow his grace to break down those barriers. Allow the, that grace of God and of Jesus in the cross to break the curse. God knew that we would never be able to fill the hole in our hearts on our own. And that's why he gave us Jesus. He knew that we need Jesus to give us an opportunity to restore this relationship with him. You have an opportunity. An opportunity. I'm going away from my notes now by just thinking about that word opportunity. You know, everybody is searching for opportunity. Each day you hear people talking about, I'm just looking for the right opportunity. I love that you guys referred to um, that lady and that girl, and she said, well, I'm going to become a Christian someday. Why not today? You have an opportunity. Will you surrender to him? Now, 
Maybe you're thinking right now, I have surrendered to him. When? Because I do think we have this initial surrendering to Christ, but we still need to continue to surrender to him each and every single day. Today, tomorrow, the next day, every day we should wake up and submit ourselves to God and say, Lord, I am not good enough. I do not deserve this, but you give it to me anyway. Thank you, Lord. Please forgive me. And it's not because we're truly being forgiven again and again. I mean, we were forgiven that first time at conversion, but we still need to submit ourselves to him. We still need to surrender to him. Out of love, we still say we're sorry. We still ask for that forgiveness. We still recognize our failures and our faults so that we don't continue to live in those failures in those faults. But I should move on. We are cursed. Sin is a curse. The hole in your heart, the empty feeling you feel, is all because of the curse of sin. And as I continue today, I want to focus on verses 10 to 18, but mainly verses 10 to 14, talking about that curse. As I read through the scripture, and was beginning to prepare for the sermon a couple weeks ago, and I want to read this to you again. I kept thinking about a song. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not a faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by faith. By them, I'm sorry, shall live by them. And notice the quotations, he's quoting scripture. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessings of Abraham may come, might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. As I read this, I kept having this song from the 1990s come out or come to mind, a song by, and I don't even know if I'm going to say her last name right, I should have looked it up, but Tasha Cobbs, it's Jesus Saves, Jesus Saves, I know that Jesus Saves, my wife is very embarrassed now, <laughs> no, I'm no gospel singer like that, but Jesus Saves, I just kept thinking about Jesus Saves, Jesus Saves, we have this curse upon us, but Jesus saves. Jesus is the only way to break the curse. You see, when somebody talks about a curse, you might often hear somebody joke about a curse because they think that everything that happens to them that happens to them is because of a curse. Have you ever heard of somebody maybe just say, oh man, I must be cursed. I'm always tripping and falling down. Maybe they say, I must be cursed. I just can't keep my mouth shut when I ought to. That's me. I sing when I shouldn't. I must be cursed. I can't help but disappoint people. Curses, curses, curses. Somebody must have put a hex on me because I just can't seem to do anything right. You know, the list goes on. People do like to blame these curses or hexes, whether they believe in them truly or not, but they do. You, I'm sure all of us have heard statements like that. Let me read to you some more of the message translation here. Starting at verse 11, actually starting at verse 10, it says, Scripture backs us up. Utterly cursed is every person who fails to carry out every detail written in the book of the law. 
11 and 12 goes on to say, The obvious impossibility of carrying out such a moral program should make it plain that no one can sustain a relationship with God that way. Goes on in 13 to say, Christ redeemed us from that self-defeating, cursed life by absorbing it completely into himself. I would like to add that the message is never and will never be my main translation. I see it more as a commentary, and I think that's how it's meant to be read, is like a commentary. But it does bring light to the scripture and help you understand it sometimes. Cursed. You see... Satan loves for us to feel like we cannot escape the curse. But just as books and movies often portray, there is a way to break the curse, to break the hex. And it's not a matter of finding the voodoo doll so that somebody can quit stabbing it, as movies or books might say. It's not a matter of finding the hex bag that somebody might have hidden under your bed or whatever other type of black magic that people talk about. You see, people are always looking for a magic potion or an instant fix for their problems. They search their whole life for a solution. If I could only do this or that. Ironically, the answer lies right in front of them. Even more than that, the answer lies right inside of them. Surrender to Jesus. I thank for that inspiration again. You're gonna, if you're thinking by any chance you're going to become a Christian today, why wait? Do it today we're never going to have all the answers and that's where we need to have faith in god the one who created the heavens and the earth and everything in it you can't do that can you you're never going to fully understand how he did it either but we know from his word that's truth god gave us the way to break the curse that burdens us and the magic potion is not magical at all it's jesus it's jesus and we read that here Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So let's do a rundown. Next part of my sermon is going to be do this. We're going to do a rundown. We're going to look verse by verse at a few points. And then we're going to start to wrap up after that. I've got about 10, 15 minutes left. So I want us to really focus on this. Verse 10. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Deuteronomy 27, 26 speaks of this. The law demands perfection. But there is also a saying in our everyday life. You ever heard the saying, a man is only as good as his words? A man is only as good as his word. You see, Paul here, I think, is trying to drive the people into a corner and force them to see the error in their ways. Force them to see how what they're trying to do just doesn't make sense. He's basically saying to them, suppose you say that you're going to try to win God's approval by accepting and obeying the law. What is the inevitable consequence? <coughs> if the inevitable consequence is this. A man must stand or fall by his decision to live a certain way. William Barclay said that. A man must stand or fall by his decision to live a certain way. A man is only as good as his word. So you're adding all these extra requirements, all these extra laws, all the ex these extra works to your salvation. Well, you either live according to all of them or you don't. And the inevitable consequences is this. If he chooses the law, he must live by the law. But unfortunately for him, no man, no man ever has or ever will succeed in always keeping the law. 
you will always fall because we're always going to be sinful human beings. We're always going to fall because we are not God. We may try to be God, but we're not God. And that's why we need to surrender to God. We need God. A curse is attached to those that don't fulfill the law in full. Since all fail, all are cursed. But Scripture has another saying. Talking about sayings here, Scripture has another one. Habakkuk 2.4 says, It is the man who is right with God by faith who will surely live. Are you right with God by faith? Have you placed your faith in him? There is indeed another way to avoid the wrath of God, and that is by the mercy of God and the work of Christ. It's not by the law. It's not by the works because we can never be good enough. You might think, oh, I've been doing good for 10 years, which that's impossible. But maybe you think, 10 years I've been doing good. I haven't fell once. But then 10 years later, you trip. Oh, curses, right? You trip, you stumble, you fall down. It's all it took. It's all it took. You're done. We need God. We need the mercy of God. We need Jesus Christ. And Jesus takes that curse. No matter how much you try, you cannot or will not ever escape this curse on your own. For you'll never be able to accomplish all the works and all the law before succumbing to your sinful human nature and falling at some point. Verse 11 goes on and it says, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. And again, he's, he's quoting scripture. No one is justified by the law. The righteous will live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Verse 12 includes the word rather. Again, look at that word rather. But the law is not of faith. Rather... The one who does them shall live by them. The law says that the one who does them shall live by them. Doing them, you'll live by them. Obeying the law is good, but in its most complete, fullest sense, perfection. No one can reach perfection. Thus, no one will live. Really, setting them as opposed to one another is the means via which we live and are saved. Leviticus 18.5 speaks of this. And speaks from a standpoint of doing it, living it, an expectation to live by the law. But in the Old Testament, they had a way of sac a sacrificial system still for when they would fall. It is a good thing to try and achieve and trying to live according to God's ways, his will, and his laws, his works. We should be. But we need to understand that's not what saves us. We're always going to fall. But now we have an eternal sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice without blemish, who is Jesus Christ. Verse 13 goes on. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Now it is great, of great importance to note here that Christ was not accursed, but took on himself our curse. Straight from scripture there. You should see that. You should note it. Jesus did not become a curse because he was crucified. No, he was crucified because he was cursed by taking in full our curses, our sins, the sins of the world upon himself. 1 Peter 2, 21 to 24 goes into depth by telling us that it's for by, by his wounds we are healed. 
Isaiah 53, 5 says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we were healed. And I truly believe that that's speaking of spiritually, we were healed through his wounds. Not that we're always going to be physically healed, but spiritually healed. Acts 5.30 goes on to talk about how he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. This truth of the curse in relation to Jesus was very hard for the Jews to accept. You see, they didn't want this type of savior to begin with. They wanted an earthly king, an earthly messiah, an earthly savior who would save them from the government and from Rome. And would put them on top. They could not imagine the Messiah being accursed or being cursed by God and to hang on a tree. To them, the crucifixion was proof that he was not the Messiah. But the problem was an error in their understanding of the curse. The Messiah was not cursed by God. He took upon himself our curse. He was filled with our sins so that we might have our sins removed and be forgiven. Verse 13 goes on and talks about how all of us are under the curse of disobedience under the law. But Christ, Christ redeemed us and became a curse for us. Now that word redeemed, sometimes we might just skip over it too fast. That word redeemed means to buy out of slavery by paying a price. But Christ, when he bought us out of slavery, paid the ultimate price. That curse took him to the grave, but he was victorious over it and raised from the grave and had life and gave us life. Now, something else to notice is that I'm not just redeemed. You're not just redeemed. One person group is not just redeemed. The entire world may be redeemed. Gentiles, Jews alike, all of us may be redeemed through the grace of God. Jesus is the final Old Testament sacrifice for us. He's our atonement. Jesus took upon himself all of our curses, our sins. He took upon himself our deserved punishment that we could be freed from the bondage of sin. He is the best. He is the perfect. He is without spot, without blemish. He is the firstborn to die as a sin sacrifice. He is our scapegoat. And verse 14 goes on to say, So that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Let me read on here so we can start to wrap up. Verse 15 says, To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring, it does not say, and to your offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Now in verse 15, we see Paul use another word that I want to bring attention to. And that word is brothers. 
This is a very strong word, and Paul loves strong words. I love Paul because I love that he's not afraid of speaking bluntly and speaking strong words. As we begun, he said, oh, foolish Galatians. Foolish Galatians. Has somebody put a hex on you? He's not afraid of speaking bluntly, but I think it's also important to realize that these are believers in Christ or people who have committed to say they're believers in Christ. And Paul is speaking bluntly to them because they're focusing on the wrong things. Do we sometimes focus so much on unbelievers that we fail to focus on believers and keeping them accountable to make sure that they're abiding by the grace of Christ? They're not trying to add to, works, add to their grace by a works-based system? Because I, I hear so often in the world of people trying to judge each other by saying, well, you're not saved or you're not this or that because of this or that sin in your life. Well, we should keep each other accountable, but we also need to make sure we're not adding to the grace of God. Brothers, no longer the, oh, foolish Galatians, it's brothers. Brothers, just as I would speak to you today and I would say, brothers, listen to this word. It's by Jesus Christ that you're saved. He says, brothers, and this shows a great love he had for these people. Paul is pleading with them to listen to and obey the truth that they know and they should be abiding by. Don't continue to look to these false teachers or false teachings. Brothers, listen to what you've already accepted. Listen to what God's already placed into your life and into your heart. Brothers. You might also note that Paul's now transitioning to using not just scripture, but also a human um, example, an illustration of covenants, contracts. Now, in this case, he's probably speaking more of a contract as the message stated, like a will, an inheritance, because they didn't really have the same type of contracts as us. We like to write contracts and to everything to protect ourselves. And they did have contracts, but it's probably speaking of an inheritance. But Paul uses this example to show them once you've written this contract, this covenant, once you've had a witness and you've signed it, you can't annul it. You can't change it. We cannot continue to think we can change the covenant. We can't change it. Paul points out that even before there was the law of Moses, there was the faith of Abraham. The law of Moses went on until 430 years later. Abraham set out on the journey God gave him by faith. It was after Abraham went out on this venture by faith that God's promise was made to him. Paul goes on to a new way of arguing this point now by using this practical illustration. We, we should not think that we can alter the covenant that God made, that God put into existence. You cannot simply modify it whenever you like because you think your way is best. You're not the creator of it. You're not the creator of the world. How could you think that you know what's best? God knows what's best. Verse 16 interrupts this thought process to explain that the promises were made to Abraham and his offspring or seed. And notice that's not plural, it's singular, and refers to Christ being the final fulfillment here in relation to God's promise to Abraham and his offspring. We needed Jesus, and we still need Jesus today. We're going to start to wrap up with this application here. As Eldon would say, this takeaway. Jesus saves. The application is this. Examine yourself. The challenge. Examine yourself to see whether you are of the works of the law 
or of salvation by the grace of God through Jesus Christ in the cross. Jesus saves. Only Jesus saves. But have you surrendered to him? Maybe you need to surrender to him again. Maybe you need to say, Lord, I know you've forgiven me of my sins, but I keep trying to do it on my own. And I feel this empty hole inside of me. I feel like I have a hole in my heart. I feel like I have an emptiness. And it's because we're not filling our life each and every single day with him. We continue to let the world fill our lives, relationships fill our lives, sin fill our lives. When we're meant to have Jesus fill our lives, God fill our lives. The problem with the human sinful life is to get in a relationship with God is impossible on our own. Don't allow yourself to have a hole in your heart. Fill the hole in your heart with an ever-increasing and saving faith in Jesus. The more you fill your life with your faith in Christ and rely on his word and the spirit inside you, not only will you have life, but that empty filling will begin to be filled. Now, we're always going to have an emptiness. We're always going to have a little bit of an empty filling. We're always going to have a little bit of a hole in our life because we're not perfect beings. We're sinful beings. And we're going to continue to sin against God. And we need to continue to submit ourselves to God and surrender to God. But one day, the hole in our life will be completely filled. And we'll be in God's presence. One day, we'll have new bodies. One day, we'll have a new earth. And all of the old things of the world, all the sins of the world, all the pains, all the weeping, all the tears, all the illnesses, all the diseases, all that will pass away one day. But today, let's focus on filling the hole in your heart with an ever-increasing and saving faith in Jesus. That's the thing that will get us from day to day. That's the thing that will get us from today to heaven, to be in God's presence Paul had a great love for his pupils, his brothers. He pleaded with them yet again to fill their lives with the faith in Christ. Not a system of works and law, but he pleaded with them. It's like a a teacher pleading with his pupils because he saw that they were in peril, they were in distress, they were going down a wrong way, a way which would cause them to fall down. I plead with you today too. And I say to you today, brothers... Surrender to Christ. Don't wait till tomorrow for something you can do today. They needed a guide to remind them of the truth of the gospel of grace, of salvation. Grace alone, nothing else, plus nothing. One final example, in Acts 16, the Philippian jailer asked what he must do to be saved. And Paul concisely answered him, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. Salvation is awarded by faith. And as John MacArthur said in his commentary, this faith is personal, internal, and spiritual, having nothing to do with ceremonies, rituals, observances, good works, or externals in any sort. Faith has always and will always be what God requires as a response for salvation. Faith was required in the Old Testament by the saints, and faith is required by us today. We need to take each step with faith. Abraham, Noah, Moses, David, they all had to act in faith. Will you act in faith today? Let me pray as the worship band comes up. Lord God, we thank you for your word today and reminding us, because we do need reminded that we do live with the curse of sin. 
But you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to live and die on the cross, to take our sins, our curse, upon himself so we might have life, so we might have a restored relationship with you today. Lord, I pray for everybody in here. Lord, I just pray for the brothers here today. I plead with them. Surrender to Jesus today. Lord, I just pray that if they're wanting to do this today, they just say right now, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I want to surrender myself to you. I need you in my life. Give me life today. Amen. Please stand and let's sing. accepted Christ as your Savior today, I encourage you, come talk to me. Come talk to somebody. Let's encourage you. Let us disciple you. Let, you. let us mentor you and show you where to go next. And I ask you today to still be convicted, be challenged. If you didn't do it today, but you're struggling with, I, I think I might do this sometime. 
I just don't know if I'm ready. Do it today. But if not, come talk to me. Come talk to somebody so that we can talk through it with you. Remember, Christ needs to be the center of our lives. In all things, Christ needs to be at the center. Marriages, relationships, our jobs, our families, our children, everything. Christ needs to be at the center. For he is the one that takes away the curse. He is the one that gives us guidance. And he's the one that helps fill that hole in our heart. Please stick around for the um, missionary update here and to hear about their ministry. I'm really excited to hear about this ministry because I haven't heard about it yet. But we'll have about a 10-minute break for those who are, need to get on their way or for those who need to get a drink of water or use the restroom. Thank you.